Dale, Chamberlain of All Ages, and Walter Payne Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the Marketex Samuel Plan, the Devil's Advocate Shinobi, the Lunatic King Maverick, and single syllable mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Sub Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and WrestleMania is well and truly in the books. Uh, so, um, obviously, we are almost an entire week removed, and uh, everyone's had time to process this. All of LOP Radio's shows have uh, exhaustively discussed WrestleMania. So I don't want to make you go over ground that you've already covered. So I don't think uh, we'll spend much time today talking about uh, the matches um, as such. More um, what where we might be going over the next uh, few weeks, few months, and maybe some some general thoughts about you know what this set of uh, takeover and WrestleMania might mean of the company because we advocated quite heavily, sorry, a single digit uh, WrestleMania um, feel to the card. They obviously had a uh, a lot of matches on the cards. We advocated for keeping them relatively short and keeping the audience's attention span by kind of making so it's just sort of three mini pay-per-views. And for two thirds of the show, they managed just that. So I guess the question is, does that lead us to think that next year they might get the hat trick? I think it's worth saying, first of all, that, and I know that there are people out there who may disagree, but I feel like it's been, and I was thinking about this the other day, it's been an upward, the, the encouraging thing is it's been an upward trend, not a downward one, since they went to seven hour long WrestleManias in that. Um, I thought 33 was better than 32. I thought overall, not the way it ended, but overall 34 was better than 33, and I felt like 35 was better than 34. Um, <clears throat> it's, it is gen- genuinely a big format change that presents challenges that otherwise <clears throat> wouldn't be there. Um, and again this year, you know, it was the same point in the show again, uh, sort of that three-hour mark, spoken about this a lot on, on the pond, that three-hour mark past the main event in the middle of the show where that hump came. Uh, and while they didn't quite manage to get over it entirely successfully, I felt like it was it, it was a better effort than it had been in previous years. Again, accepting some people may disagree. That's how I felt. And I don't know whether that's because more of the show, you mentioned the uh, single-digit WrestleManias, and that was something I was tweeting out on the night, that it was giving off single-digit vibes for really all the way up to the Kofi Bryan match. Um, <clears throat> and uh, if I, I, as a result, I felt like that, that method was... If, I don't, and I don't know if... Because it's a seven and a half hour show, right? So it's not like you sit down and watch it again the next day out of fun or anything like that. In fact, you know, it's, it's probably that you never watch the whole show in one chunk ever again because it's so long. Um, but certainly it felt like coming out of the weekend... That though that that method was the there was more of it across the entire span of the show and the entire span of the weekend than there had been in preceding years, and if they could if they could continue that expansion next year and then the year after, um, 
it may be that they finally hit upon one of these gargantuan shows that is less of a struggle. I think that it's always going to be a struggle. I know we sort of talked ourselves out of the idea that, that a seven and a seven and a half hour show is inherently flawed sort of in the build-up to WrestleMania. I do think that it will always present problems, especially for fans like ourselves who are watching it. You know, when you get to 5 a.m. in the morning, you're going to be tired no matter how good the show is. So, uh, you know, there is an issue there, but but they can, they can it, I think this year, very encouragingly proved it's not beyond their capability to actually put together a fun version of this kind of a WrestleMania. And I, I have to say, I mean, I know... Um, <clears throat> that there hasn't been a lot of, of, of kind words being said, particularly about the Batista Triple H match, and we've sort of talked about it on social media already. Even there, even in that which I would consider to be the biggest kind of black spot on the match, uh, on the show, I beg your pardon, um, even there I felt like it, it, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, and that I'd probably enjoy it when I go and watch it, if I ever go and watch it in sort of isolation on its own, Right, in a way that I know that you kind of softened a little bit on the Triple H Brock Lesnar match from WrestleMania 29. So, um, generally speaking, and and across all of all of the weekend, uh, I mean, it's it's rare that I see an NXT takeover, for example, in which I adore, absolutely fall in love with two as many as two matches on one of those takeover cards, and that, that's exactly what happened. And I so I felt across the entire weekend, takeover, WrestleMania, Raw, SmackDown. What was so revitalizing about it, and I think the reason why it's it's completely re-enthused me with the product, is because everything put the story and the characters first. Um, and a lot of the, the way that matches were designed, the way I felt the show was designed, everything about it felt so very much of my as a fan and, and sort of played to my taste, calm and composed. There wasn't really anything outside of the takeover main event. There wasn't hysterical. You know, the, the guy just in the way that the the, the sort of the matches played out, but just in the sense that everything seems to support character and story first. It's something we've talked about the entire weekend that was bothered about trying actively trying to steal the show was the women's main event, which I felt was probably the one that fell most short of expect my expectations over the weekend. Whereas everything else, again, TakeOver Mania, Raw, SmackDown, it all felt like it wasn't bothered about trying to steal the show. It was only concerned with trying to tell the conclusion to whatever story it was concluding. And I, and I found that so palate cleansing. I mean, of course, there's been a lot of reports out there that, that... Triple H was actively trying to find a way to make this formula work and, you know, to make sure that he could get the titles on the show, but without um, making every match like incredibly long. And in you see in decisions like Samoa Joe squashing Rey Mysterio, regardless <coughs> if there was if there was an injury involved there or not, that they understood which matches they could keep short, you know, like the women's uh, tag fatal four-way was kept, you know, sort of bright and breezy, great choice to have the Iconics win it, lovely moment for them. Maybe glad they didn't win it at Elimination Chamber because it was kind of nice to see them get a, a, a WrestleMania moment, um, TM. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, I think I think for me, the pre-show really set a brilliant tone. Yes, because absolutely. Because you had, 
you know, you had a really fantastic cruiserweight match on there. Um, both the Battle Royals, you know, didn't outstay their welcome. Um, and were smartly put together. Yeah, and St- Strowman was obviously a, a, a good choice of winner for the, the men's one. The women's one, Carmella, not so much, but what are you going to do? They seem to be obsessed with it for some reason. Um, but but it just set a really good tone. And even the way they kind of had their rotating uh, table of guests, like it felt like they did the hype a bit better because it wasn't quite so self-conscious in some ways, I think. Um, I also say I also think the stadium looked fantastic. I saw some criticism of the stage set. I thought it was much better for being simpler. Um, I agree entirely, yeah. Uh, and I, I thought it, it looked great. I thought it was... I thought they, they actually did what I've been advocating for ages, and they made it a bit grimier. They did uh, dull out the crowd a little bit in terms of the lighting. Um, you know, obviously there was the whole... Uh, debacle with the yellow light during the autumn v uh, styles match but but generally speaking you know it felt like one of those great WrestleManias where you start off and it's light and it gets dark as the evening goes on and those sorts of things um and then you know because the pre-show had set a good tone and then you get um you get that great like shot in the arm of, of Seth winning the Universal Championship to, to kick the show off um and obviously they, they kind of you know went with a a brilliant kind of angle of, of Lesnar trying to attack before the match starting. And then, you know, Seth doing that one thing that was left over from his heel days, which I thought was a, a great bit of, of poetic justice, like with the low blow. And then, you know, it, it takes three stomps to put him down. I thought that was fantastic. Um, I love the callback to the, the first time he, when he cashed in on Lesnar, when he was like swinging the belt around his head which I don't think we've seen since WrestleMania he did, 31. He, he did do it with the IC last did year. Did he do it last year? I haven't actually, yeah, re- I haven't yeah, actually yeah. Uh, re-watched uh, 34, you know, since it was on, um, which I think probably tells you quite a lot. Um, but yeah, like, I think, I think, you know, you had a really great tone early on and it just, and, and we, me and you were saying on Twitter as the night was going on, wow, they are like, they're rattling through these matches, you know, Orton and Styles were, you know, what was that, like 10 or 12 minutes? And then they just kept, they just kept kind of rattling through. The tag fatal four-way was fantastic. Um, you know, there was just, and then they got to Kofi Bryan. They had the epic match time for that, which was completely appropriate. I thought Reigns v um, McIntyre was really, really good. I think there's been some unfair criticism of it, actually. Um, and it was, yeah, the Batista Triple H thing. There's no doubt that in the spot it was in, it derailed the night. I yeah. think in some ways it could have gone, it could have gone on when Shane Miz went on. Yeah. Um, and if those two matches were swapped round, uh, you know, I always think the show looks a little bit different, even so, even so. But I mean, either way, I, I said, you know, before I went to bed on that night, if they can talk themselves out of booking a Triple H match next year, then they could really, really nail it. Because that, to me, as it was going on, was like a sort of top eight-ish WrestleMania until that Batista-Triple H match. And as you say, even that in isolation, um, not that I've actually experimented with this, but <laughs> in, you know, isolation, in isolation might be all right. Certainly, I'd enjoyed the Triple H taking notes from Pete Dunne um, aspect of it. I thought that was, yes. quite, that was quite smart. Um, but yeah, it's nice to it's nice to go to bed after WrestleMania 
at five in the morning thinking I, on the whole, really, really enjoyed it. The right people won. And, you know, you're kind of, you're set for the wrestling year now. Whereas you think the bad taste that the end of the ending of 34 left in the mouth and how, you know, whatever they were going to do for the pay-per-view after WrestleMania, you were just a bit like, you know, you had this, this, this ghost of Lesnar like hanging over the whole thing and Seth coming out and Raw and saying he's off to Las Vegas and he can stay there. Like, brilliant. Like, more of that, please. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like night and days when you think back to how you felt after WrestleMania last year. And um, for the first time, and I said as much to a friend of mine, for the first time in, in as long as I could remember, <clears throat> I was like, you know, looking forward to seeing what happens on Raw. Uh, this was, you know, obviously earlier in the week before Raw aired. Um, and also, you know, to be fair, relatively, and I can't believe I'm saying this, and I'm going to shoot myself in the head for saying it, but, you know, to be fair, relatively intrigued as to if Brock Lesnar does come back at, at some point, what they would do with him. Because as you've said many times in the past, you know, it's not necessarily that, that or Mazza, I can't remember which one, or maybe both of you, it's not necessarily that Brock Lesnar's there that's a problem. It's that they keep putting the title on him all the yeah. time. That's the, yeah. you know, that's the problem and not and not having him... Uh, in, but I mean the 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 Seth Rollins Brock Lesnar thing I I I I adored it so much and I and I spent like a good fifteen twenty minutes sort of breaking down just the 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 amount of depth in it on SEID earlier in the week and uh, you know it was a case in point to me of a match not needing to be any longer quite literally in this case any longer than two and a half minutes. Uh, and if it if it's if it's produced in a way that is uh, in keeping with the story that built up to it, it can still tell, you know, the most magnificent story with such depth. So obviously, like you say, the pre-show set a good tone. That then hooked me into the into the main show, and it's you know, I mean, mindset is a big deal of it. If you if you start the show off well and keep it going at a pace, and you get fans in a good mood. Then when you get to Ms. Shane, I was I was feeling infinitely more forgiven than I might have otherwise felt because of how good everything before it had been. You know, and then that was what, like twelve, thirteen minutes long. Wasn't a particularly competitive match all in. You know, I think when you go back and, and look at that overall, Ms. does spend a large portion of it beating the crap out of Shane, which is, you know, sort of what Shane matches were back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um and on and on, and, and the Kofi match was, was I thought, and I said this on Aftershock, you know, genuinely rarefied air that it was breathing in terms of what it achieved uh, and its quality. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's interesting you say if you if you swap the Shane Miz and, and Triple H Batista match, or maybe next year they could talk themselves out of a Triple H match. If you just totally take that match out of the card, and you think about what happened between Kofi and Brian and, and the women's main event, which was like, you know, the angle thing and the Bala thing and, and the Joe thing. Like, if you took the Triple H Batista match out, you could easily have had the women and Kofi go on back to back at the end of the night. And, and you know, and, and the show would have been immense for that. Mm. And the crazy thing is that tri the Triple H match was again about, what, 25 minutes? So you're looking at about 40 minutes. Add the angle thing on as well. You've taken an hour off the show on top of that. So yeah. It goes. It goes to show, you know, where the, where the kind of the last issue is at this stage is that if if next year they didn't do a Triple H match, 
you're going to be shaving off. You're going to be clocking in under five hours, probably. Uh, you're still going to be way over four, but you'll be clocking in under five hours. Uh, and if you kept the, the pace and the structure of this year as well, then you're on to a winner. Well, this is really what I'm most interested in is, you know, we've obviously despaired of this, um, you know, habit of grandiloquence for a WrestleMania. Um, and here we are where we've had a lot of our wishes uh, fulfilled and it seems like we're really close to you know getting a formula um that works you know with uh, and particularly if you know they do end up unifying some of these titles you know if becky goes like a full year as as both raw and smackdown champion or you know then suddenly you're kind of not having to crowbar st- so much stuff on the cards in the first place and if you are you just adopt the approach we had this year, which was kind of like a, it was a bit WrestleMania seven. It was a bit WrestleMania six in places. Like they just had the right, the right idea with it. And it'll be fascinating to see if, if they, like you said, we've had an upward trend with these epic length WrestleManias, whether they take the next step forward next year. So let's, let's hit on some of the, you know, the talking points about where we might be going next. Now, one interesting thing that has happened uh, this week, which I'm actually quite a big fan of, is the sort of nerfing of the post-Mania Raw and SmackDown in that they did very safe shows that didn't really start any new storylines and were just more of a kind of pause button before the real stuff starts next week. Now, I was actually a really big fan of that because I found for a long time that those those roars and smackdowns with you know people debuting and you know and a big number one contenders match or a big title match or something like that it they get quite um you know they get well not only predictable but also like it's overkill and then the rest of raw for the rest of the year is crap and you're like well why show people you can do that and then like coast for the rest of the year so i was kind of quite a big fan of them just being like it'll be a hot crowd anyway we'll to some extent phone it in and we'll start the proper stuff next week i actually thought that was that was quite um a a smart choice i don't know what you thought about that i'm in in complete agreement with you one of the you and you and i are both huge and we say all the time huge proponents of less is more and we've lived through this more is more uh, kind of meta era in WWE um, where there was like, you know, one post-Mania Raw where the crowd went crazy and it was like, okay, well now post-Mania Raws are a thing. Uh, and then they just got more and more ridiculous and more and more over the top. Uh, and it kind of, I guess in a way, kind of peaked, you know, in the last couple of years where it got to the point where they were promoting people from NXT and bringing in new signings and debuting them all and having epic matches with no sense of, uh, end game to any of it you know it was like you you bring someone in and then next week's like, okay well we brought them in because it was postmania raw now what we're going to do with them and that's yeah. how you've ended up in this ridiculous situation where you've got this massive roster and no one's got any kind of direction um and it's very easy once you've done that one year and it's a big success and then you do a 20 i mean the fact they did it it, it annoys the hell out of me to this day that they did one of those WWE 24s on the post WrestleMania raw, because it just, it solidifies it as a thing. And then, and then the fans suddenly want to want to be a part of that thing. And the whole, it just becomes a monster. Um, 
And so to have pulled back a bit this year, I thought was in keeping with the theme of WrestleMania itself, which was, again, not losing focus on what you're there to do, which is to tell stories, you know, and to to put that front and center and to not start getting all weirdly postmodern about it and saying, well, it's the WrestleMania, it's the roar after WrestleMania. So we have to do these things. I actually wrote um, on the day of WrestleMania, I wrote my usual Sunday column. And, and one of the points that I made in it, you know, was about that. You remember the discussion about whether all three of the title challenges on Sunday should win. Yeah. And I said, who says, and one of the things, you know, we need to get out of this habit of, imposing these bizarre rules and regulations on things still when we've got absolutely no need to so just because it's the wrestlemania after all doesn't mean you have to you know go completely crazy and start throwing every tom every you know every every absolutely everything including the kitchen sink onto the show just to to adhere to a formula that was never really a thing in the first place only really became a thing in like the last sort of seven years yeah 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 um and and so to have seen them, like you say, to have seen them just got on with the business of having a Monday Night Raw, but having a Monday Night Raw that I thought, because I watched the whole thing. My friend and I, who I watch WrestleMania with, we always watch the post-Mania Raw in full. It's like a tradition. Um, and while it wasn't, you know, it wasn't spectacular, it didn't sort of leave you sort of feeling that was an amazing, you know, way to spend two hours of my life. It was not, there was nothing in it that was, that was offensive or terrible either. It was just a, a good, solid episode of Raw. And to have come through the last sort of three months where things were just getting more and more ridiculous and to arrive at a WrestleMania weekend in its entirety where everything just felt solid. Like I said earlier, you know, it was just like a breath of fresh air to me and it's completely re-enthused me, you know. And I know that people kind of, this whole thing about people getting upset about the bar interfering in, in the match the winner-take-all match between Seth and Kofi, it was like, well, first of all, you'd have to have been insane to think that match was ever going to a clean finish in the first place. Um, uh, but also, uh, second of all, to me, it just felt a little bit like people feeling a need to be outraged about something, and that was that was the obvious yeah. candidate. Because, you know, ultimately, this sort of thing happens all the time. So, why, you know, why does it matter? And it's been followed up with on, on SmackDown and stuff. They're getting on with the business. And I thought people would have been happy to see someone like Cesaro in that, in that headlining slot because it may be leading to Cesaro perhaps being uh, one of Kofi's first challenges for the title. And he is another guy that people have wanted to see, supposedly, in that spot for a long time. I mean, my one cautionary note um, is that WWE, when they have these sorts of Cinderella champions... They do have a habit of booking, I don't want to say underwhelming because that's unfair, yeah. but, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, um, you know, a, a less than obvious challenger. I mean, if you think about the, even if you think back to Dean Ambrose and the reaction to him having Dolph Ziggler as his first challenger. Um, there's a there's a there's a sense of we've we've given the championship to a cult favorite of the fans. So we've got to have a cult favorite, someone we think is a cult favorite challenge him and that, or, say, it's, or or even worse it suggests that the title is less important than the real main eventers who are going to have a feud sure. against each other that's that's yeah. that's the only cautionary note i would have because if you end up with let's say like daniel bryan feuding against who's on smackdown and like he's done aj styles already i mean i guess smackdown's a bad example because there's not actually that many like big guys on there in the first place but but say, for example, like Seth's first challenger was 
like Bobby Lashley, for example. Yeah. Um, and then you had Roman Reigns. Uh, yeah, say, say John Cena came back and you had Roman Reigns be John Cena program. Well, immediately Seth is out of the spotlight there. Um, so that's, yeah. that's the only thing that, I, that, that kind of would be a cautionary note with this bar stuff. Having said that, I've always been a big fan of your top tag team looking like badasses. Um, and they did that in Attitude a lot. Uh, and it always worked well. It doesn't mean that you have to give the bar a title shot. It means that, you know, you're putting them in the mix as sort of top guys so that when things like Survivor Series come round, you know, they're seen as a threat. Um, so I guess the well, thing is, like I say, it, it felt to me like a holding pattern anyway. So when they do this superstar shakeup next week, I think, you know, the direction of Seth and the direction of, of Kofi will become much more obvious. I mean, they may even end up swapping brands. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just reserved judgment till then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing is, though, as well, uh, on this note, is that this is the, this is an opportunity, and they have umpteen million of these, so let's hope they take this one. This is an opportunity for them to really, now they've got full-time a full-time champion on Raw again, certainly, um, to 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 really solidify contemporary talents as big stars um by making sure like you say that Seth Rollins isn't playing second fiddle to whatever match Roman Reigns is on pay-per-view that he's not walking in into a universal championship match against whoever it may be but the Roman's Reign, Roman Reigns match has the headline in slot like if Seth is the champion make it head, let him headline shows if Kofi is the champion let him headline shows because um, you know, ultimately, that's how you build a star, isn't it? You yeah. treat them like a star, and it, and it, and people pick up on that. And if you, um, you know, over the last few, I don't want to get back into this again because we've we've talked about it till the cows come on. But just a brief word on it: if you if you spend all your time peddling this philosophy that at WrestleMania we've got to bring in Triple H because none of the other guys are stars, then people are going to start believing that, even on a subconscious level. So. Treat them like stars. Let Seth and Kofi show what they can do. And don't rush to a judgment. You know, if, if the first thing doesn't catch fire, try something else. Uh, yeah, um, agreed. I, I mean, I've, I've, I, with, with Kofi, I felt uh, like the, 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 the most exciting first challenger he could have is, is Randy Orton. Because you can immediately then transition away from, it's taken me 11 years to get this title match. And the first feud he has after he wins it is, you're the guy that, that is the reason why it took me 11 years to yeah. get me, a, not to go all reality area with it, but obviously there is a history there that they could play into. And, and the matches would be tremendous, as we know. And, and you know, the other and, thing... And, who, by, and by the way, if you, if you want to lean more into, I'm not saying uh, that they will, but if you wanted to lean more into the, or continue leaning into the racial element of it as well, like... Who more embodies within the fictional universe of WWE uh, white privilege than Randy Orton as a bad guy? Well, in real life as well, if you look at his Twitter feed. Um, well, quite, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, what is it like everyone would say about AJ Styles Randy Orton? Like, the MAGA powers explode. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, I mean, the other thing about Randy Orton, of course, is that he attacked Mustafa Ali, uh, or, sorry, mm. Ali, on a on smackdown um so i mean the other thing is that that occurs to me is quite often these first defenses end up being multi-man things um, sure so that they might go that direction but i guess i guess um until we know 
who's going where because of course what they did really confusing over the past couple of years is they'd have this shake up but then they'd have already booked matches oh. and it was a bit like oh if he wins he stays here or does he take the title with him to the new brand or like what the hell was going on so you had like the house of horrors match going on when Orton was going to be switching brands and or why it was be switching brands i can't remember which one was and it was just bizarre like really really bizarre and fortunately they don't seem to have done that this time they haven't booked anything yet so i think again that's another th- reason i thought the two post mania tv shows were a success because they just played it nice and safe they had some six man matches that you know they just were like we'll leave the storylines until um next week so who do you think is seth's most likely first challenger i would think it'd be drew I mean, I, I know that Drew lost at, at WrestleMania, but um, they've they've obviously got a bit of a history with each other, and Drew has been, you know, lest we forget, Drew beat Ambrose twice on Raw, he beat Seth on Raw, he beat Roman up on Raw, uh, and I don't think, you know, I mean, you you know better than anyone. I've never been a believer in this in this notion that you know one loss does all this quote unquote damage to somebody. I think Drew certainly maintains his sense of menace. Um, so, but it, like you said, it all depends because Drew appeared on SmackDown Live this weekend, this week. So maybe he goes to SmackDown, um, and it's so difficult to predict when they're going to start moving people, you know, moving pieces around next week. I don't think I don't feel like Seth and Kofi are swapping shows. Uh, I just don't get the impression that's that's on the cards. If they do, cool, because then you know Seth can do even better things on a two-hour show instead of a three-hour one. But um, I don't get the impression they'll swap. So I, I mean, I'm not certain. It's, it's, you know, do the bar get split apart in the, in the, in the superstar shake up or whatever they're calling it nowadays? Um, and, and one of them challenge Kofi, one of them challenge Seth. I don't know. I mean, I would certainly advocate for Seth that um, challenge of the month is the way to go with him. Oh, absolutely. I would put Kofi in a, like a long term story, and I would put Seth in challenge of the month. Um, because with I mean with Seth first of all he proved with the IC title that that's that's something that he can excel at. Um, I think people lose sight of how many different people he wrestled as in title matches as IC champion. There was Mojo Rawley and Elias and Jinder Mahal and Samoa Joe and uh, the Miz and Finn Balor and you know Dolph Ziggler and obviously I don't think he ever defended the title against Drew but he wrestled Drew during that that title run. You know eventually Ambrose. Um, and so he's proven he could do that, but also Seth, I think, and W to be fair, WWE seem to be aware of this, that one of Seth's greatest strengths is just the sheer variety of styles he can work well with in the ring. Um, and, and kind of the kinds of matches that he can have. Um, and like you say, go on. Well, what I really like uh, uh, is, is that it seems to me that because of this Lesnar situation, um, both in real life and in kayfabe like seth has emerged as a leader yeah and um it really 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 reminds me of bret hart circa oh yeah 93 94 when he was the undisputed locker room leader just because he was the best yeah um and people respected him and in the week before wrestlemania you had all these people like you know sasha banks the revival all tweeting seth saying you know yeah we're behind you 
you know you're the you're you know you're the full time guy you know you deserve this um and I kind of I I kind of love that so I'd love them to to, to lean into that and and to make it like a real a real thing like you know Brett is defending this belt twenty four seven every house show every you know every uh, every so often on TV he should defend it um you know on pay per view and just you know really really go to town on him wanting well, because Lesnar's not been there and this yeah. is what Reigns was gonna do before he had to go off you see because they yeah. actually they they clearly seem to be going that way with Reigns uh when he first won it at SummerSlam that he was gonna have, you know, he had Balor on Raw didn't he and um it, it'll be it's, it's gonna it'll be really cool to see that I think absolutely and and of course you know, Brett's first title reign was exactly that. Yes. They, it was presented as he is, and I hate the word. Uh, I'm not even sure it is a word, really. It, they would always harp on about how he's the most fightingest champion in, in you know, in WWF history. Um, and, you know, he'd be wrestling matches and they'd be talking about how someone who has wrestled the amount of opponents he has can't keep can't possibly expect to keep winning. You know, how long is it before his body starts breaking down and he'd wrestle everyone from Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series 92 to Skinner on Saturday night's main event. And of course, because it was Brett. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is what I was about to say, because it was Brett, you know, it it didn't matter if he was wrestling Skinner because it'd still be, I mean, no one in their right mind would think Skinner would win the WWE title, but somehow Brett made it dramatic. And that's exactly Seth's wheelhouse. And, and, And very much tonally, again, what they were striking with the Intercontinental title reign last year was, you know, uh, when he sort of lost to Ziggler in the Open Challenge and stuff, and and Graves were always going on commentary about how you keep, te- you know, you keep doing these Open Challenges, you keep going at this pace, eventually you're going to lose. So I'm, yeah, I, and obviously I'm as much, I'm almost as much a Brett guy as I am a Seth guy. So I'm, I'm certainly all over that, um, <laughs> that comparison. Um, but on the Kofi front, I think you're bang on there as well in saying that he's he's more suited probably because people will say, well, Kofi's a great worker as well, and he is. But I think Kofi's strength has proven to be during the course of this. Um, it's almost like you want the Reigns to inherit the legacy of the way they won the titles. And obviously, Seth's was all about being a fighting champion there every week. Kofi's was a, was an emotional journey, so you kind of want to want to keep that going as well. And that's better suited, like you say, to a, to a more protracted program. And you know, like the, the, interestingly, the the time when Kofi almost made it to the main event, you know, ten years ago. Uh, was because he got put in a storyline and people got behind it because he was able to show some emotion up against Randy Orton and people and people got into it. So I think it, almost like WWE have used Kofi as a utility guy for all these years and obviously he's done really well in, in, in that role, but it's almost as if they missed the fact that he had that kind of emotional range. Um and it's now that they finally rediscovered that again. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see him. I mean, because ultimately, right, what's obviously worked is is him, you know, kind of struggling against the tide. And they're clearly going with Shane McMahon as, as this sort of top heel character, you know, like bullying ring announcers and, you know, and all that sort of nonsense. So I'm sure there's going to be some stuff that goes on there with Shane putting more obstacles in Kofi's path, you know. Um, so I guess we'll just we'll, we'll just wait and see with that once the shakeups happens. Um, who they put in there now? Of course, it's looking like Styles is going to have to have a couple of weeks off at least. Um, 
it's looking like Brian might have to have a couple of weeks off. So SmackDown is looking a little bit a little bit thin. Um, but obviously we've got this shakeup happening. So I guess the next talking point would be like, I mean, are there any obvious moves that you can see? And you know, I mean, I'll start with one obvious one. So Pete Dunne, of course, finally dropped the UK Championship after 600 plus days, almost 700 days. Um, a great match against Walter. Um, uh, I thought it was the right time for him to lose it. I think he'd built the brand, had carried it on his back. Uh, it's it a great title run, and it was, I think, the right time to sort of to pass that on. Um, and of course, Triple H has now uh, given an interview saying that he's only 25. He's got more potential than anyone in the whole company. And it's been obvious from the start, really, isn't it, that Trips really likes him. So are we going to see Pete on uh, main roster TV next week, well, do you think? Well, maybe there's Seth's first challenger. That'd be bold, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just? Um, but what a match those two would be able to have with each other. Absolutely. Um yeah, I mean, I would I would fully expect Pete Dunne to emerge somewhere. It's going to be interesting to see where, though, because it's going to demonstrate it. Because they've, they've kind of hyped it as the international uh, superstar shakeup, haven't they? And they're kind of a, a sort of a, a cutesy way of saying NXT UK guys will probably be involved. So what's going to be interesting is seeing whether he moves straight to Raw SmackDown or whether he moves to to the American NXT and and how that reflects WWE's vision of he's kind of done that the, as well, hasn't he? He has appeared on on NXT, on American NXT, yeah, um, intermittently. Yeah, though. the War Games storyline um, in particular, I was thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's been there, but what I'm saying is it's going to be interesting to see if an, if a hierarchy emerges. Um, through his his move, I would fully anticipate he turns up on Raw or SmackDown. Um, as to which one, uh, I'd, I'd certainly think he's he shouldn't be on 205 Live, even though he's called the Bruiserweight. Um, and I and I think if you know if he's got Trips backing, uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't. But although saying that, 205 Live could use someone that they could build a brand around. So, um, and given how well Pete Dunne helped establish NXT UK, who knows? But uh, yeah, SmackDown or Raw, either one. I think there's there's the, it feels like on it, it feels like as much as I'd love to see him, you know, wrestling like Kofi and or Seth, uh, like the the mid card scenes around those mid card titles feel absolutely primed. Where him in a match against Joe would be gold, and him in a match against Balor would be gold. Yeah, I, I think either way, he's obviously coming in, and this is the great thing about. I'm not always a fan of dominant title reigns. I think, I think you know, people's love for them is a bit um, stuck in the '80s. But, and I guess maybe that also reflects the fact that you know, I kind of, I've always had everything, you know, because I kind of, I, I sort of started watching wrestling at the tail end of the Hogan period, which was obviously like, you know, he had the title for God knows how long every single time he had it. Um, and then you, you kind of got a bit of both with New Gen. You had like a year-long diesel run on, more or less, but then shorter ones aside from that, and then Attitude, which was obviously very hyperactive. Um, and a year-long one from Sean in New Gen as well. That's true. Um, so I think, but I think in Pete Dunne's case, it ends up working incredibly well uh, because he's now going to go onto the main roster with such a pedigree in kayfabe. Like, I defended a championship, you know, longer than anybody else 
um, currently active has defended a championship and it's going to allow him in kayfabe to access the upper mid card and you know and, and potentially even down the line the main event so um I, I think it's worked really well for him in that sense um now obviously nxt classic if you like there doesn't seem to be apart from black and ricochet who are kind of already there there doesn't seem to be anybody that is at the end of their kind of NXT run. So I could only foresee them doing like maybe, you know, like as they did with people like Dillinger, where they, they bring up people that never actually had like a main event run in NXT, but were kind of like bit part players. But unless they bring up some of them or maybe Shayna could like do. Yeah, I was going to say maybe. I think I, by look, having read the uh, results and stuff, it sounds like Kyrie Sane's probably headed to to the main roster. I think she sort of had something of a of a. Oh, sorry, spoilers actually. Um, but from what I've read around the internet, I wouldn't be shocked to see her move up. But yeah, it's it's a strange one with NXT. I think NXT's greatly benefited over the last two or three years, particularly from having had a very stable uh, roster. Um, in terms of the top guys feel like they've been the top guys now for some time. And I think that that's actually been a benefit to the brand, which for a couple of years there seemed to be moving a million miles an hour. And it, and it seemed to get into the habit of guy comes in, has an XT tire on, get, gets promoted six months to a year later. Um, and so they were almost constantly rebuilding all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's really benefited from having the DIY guys, Ricochet, Alistair Black, you know, Undisputed Era and Velveteen Dream, kind of the show being built around them for a few years. I I, I go the other way. I wonder, I don't think this is going to happen. But, you know, I mean, I look at someone like Matt Riddle, who I very quickly, as much as the man annoys the hell out of me and seems to be designed to annoy the hell out of me, his his ring work is incredible. Like, I, the matches that he wrestles, I just sort of seem to fall in love with. So... Um, and he doesn't, and he seems to get it in a way that I dare say not a lot of the other guys in NXT, and I include some of the more beloved ones, seem to get it. Um, at least as far as my tastes go he's in wrestling, what yeah, I think is good wrestling. And so I, I look at someone like that and I go, why is he even in developmental? Well, this is the thing. It's because I was about to say this is this is something that's annoyed me over the past few years, is that like. Obviously, AJ Styles did not need to go to developmental, and therefore they brought him straight up. And as much as I love, but as much as I love Bobby Roode's uh, work in NXT, he was he was somebody that didn't need to be there. Um, Samoa Joe was someone that never needed to be there. Nakamura, even to a degree, I, I get the language barrier and stuff, but again, did Nakamura need to be in NXT? I'm not sure if he did. And it's like that's why it started to feel like it was. Um, you know, it was more like its own thing. But then it, as soon as, as 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 you say, each sort of inverted commas generation of main event guys, you know, had had a little bit of a run at the top. They were being sucked straight up to the main roster. And I think, like you say, the original, um, the original peak of NXT had Sami Zayn as a motion part, and Sami Zayn was there for a really long time, and. Like, as soon as, I, I think that's what's been really beneficial about, you know, so much being built around, as you say, Gargano, Champa, Black, um, you know, like having those those people there. And I think 
it's a good decision to put that title on on Johnny because like with Champa being injured, um, there's no need to bring Johnny up to the main roster now. Um, you can do that whenever you want. So yeah, I figure like let 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 Johnny let Adam Cole like, let them just be there for a bit. I think um, I would, and, and like you said earlier on, the roster is so is so stacked anyway because this time last year, if you think about it, and I said this at the time, why did they bring up Andrade when they did? Because he was only just hitting his peak in NXT. You know, he'd had a, a sort of short heel title run. He'd lost the black at the takeover and then they debuted him with no plan for him and he didn't get any kind of momentum back until he had those matches with Mysterio and now those have finished again he's just you know he's just missed a six-man tag and it's it breaks my heart because you know with Dean Ambrose gone Andrade's my guy <laughs> so <laughs> it's like yeah well let's hope let's hope he gets uh, drafted to or becomes one of Seth's challenges of the month Andrade v Seth is a dream match I, I hate the yeah. phrase, but it, that is a dream match. <laughs> Absolutely. But, I mean, what you're saying, it's it's something that I've you know I've I've said many times before uh, is that the the NXT is or was designed to be their new developmental territory. Its purpose is to develop talent, get them ready for the main roster, and then promote them. When it became as big as it did, as successful as it's become. Now that it's taken on a life of its own, the relationship it has between it and the main roster has to change because it's 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 it just has already changed. Uh, but they they sort of haven't adapted to that. And so you, you've got this position where guys are coming in uh, that they, they want to work in NXT, but NXT is a feeder system. So, you know, you only keep them around for so long and they've got to go to the main roster. And then when they're at the main roster, there's no real, real room for them on the main roster. And you don't really know what role they're going to have on the main roster. Uh, like if Johnny Gargano got promoted tomorrow, he'd get lost in the shuffle. You know, and people might say he's too good to get lost, but he would just, be, you know, regardless of your opinion of the man's talent. Uh, you know, it's just that, like Andrade, no one disputes that Andrade is incredibly talented, got lost in the shuffle. Ty Dillinger got lost in the shuffle. Sanity got promoted. They've probably been on all of about six episodes of SmackDown since they did. EC3 um, is on main event. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, they, they do need, it's, it's another thing they need to address is, is, is the, is the way that the relationship between the main roster and NXT is altered. Um, and obviously NXT for a long time, people have said, have said it's its own brand. If it is, it, then, then fine, but you've got to let it be that and, and figure out a different way to, quote quote develop talent because as it stands the relationship is is the economy of it is fundamentally busted uh, and it's just creating more issues i think i mean we live in interesting um, there, times there are, don't I mean, we interestingly there are there, there have been rumors that they may start drafting people back to nxt in this coming shake-up yeah well this is what i was going to say cassie sono has obviously shown up on nxt uk as a veteran presence to help develop talent because it seems to me like nxt uk is much more the developmental place yeah. you know what i mean like it has the it has the feel of a developmental fed for the most part um you know and you can see like someone like jordan devlin being kind of groomed for you know for future things in the main roster like you know the fact that they brought balor over to wrestle him at a takeover is just um it is just proof of that really uh, but yeah i think it's interesting interesting times i think because 
there does need to be, I think, much more of a shared universe feel around all of the brands at once. Because what you can't have is stuff like Champer and Gargano being heels and then showing up on Raw to wrestle the bar and being presented as baby faces. Like that doesn't that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That that's terrible writing. Um, well, have you seen this? Um news that's come out today which i found very interesting it's something we've spoken about recently um about them hiring uh um i don't know what they, they've called the job but someone to basically uh, uh manage continuity yes, i did see that yeah um which is a very interesting idea uh you know it's it struck me reading around what they were expecting it, it is like a showrunner type role that we've spoken about in the past um you know, I mean, ultimately Vince makes all the decisions, so it's probably going to be a pointless job because he'll just go with his whims anyway. But uh, nonetheless, it's 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 interesting to think that that may lead to exactly what you're talking about, which is you can't have Champa Gargano wrestling as baby faces on Raw because over here, a they hate each other, and b you know Gargano is is going journeying into the heart of darkness, and Champ has been a bastard for for twelve months. So why are they, you know, they carry. And so hopefully that will lead to maybe that's a, that's a sign that we, we might start getting some of that kind of uh, of consistency. And, you know, uh, like across. in the early days of NXT, I always remember this, like the Shield went down to NXT just because they felt like it and just beat people up all night. Um, well, Seth was it, NXT it, champion. Oh, was he still with it? I think it was after yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Anyway, I just remember they had an angle with Corey Graves. Um, yeah, it was and, when he was still champ. Oh, okay yeah, yeah. so they, they had a, they had an angle with Corey graves and stuff and and it was you know Corey graves wrestling how long ago was that um but yeah it's it was it was just a really kind of cool thing to do i think and obviously they did it with kevin owens when he was nxt champion and um and also kind well, of fusing with cena Chris jericho turned up and wrestled bray wyatt didn't he yeah and, and, and i mean even uh one of the first like Cult, cult hits NXT had was Cesaro and Sami Zayn and Cesaro was a full-time roster mm. member at that point and then there was like a Cesaro William Regal match that was really good and you know like uh, you know the, the, there's so much that you could do there's so much you could do with it I mean obviously Seth famously showing up at TakeOver to uh, you know to take over. Um like that was a brilliant moment and I just think more of that you know what I mean like I liked, there's a great promo from Cassius Ono when he first showed up in NXT UK, where he was basically saying, well, I wrestle the UK style. None of these UK guys actually do. They all wrestle like Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels. I'm wrestling the real UK style, which is just like, that's a fantastic angle. Like, yes, do that. Um, so there's a, there's so much potential. And, and obviously we've said this before, like a lot of this potential for long-running storylines between brands may not be realized while Vince is constantly tampering with things, but the XFL is getting ever closer to launching. And, uh, you know, my hope is that that distracts him for a good while and trips gets left alone to do his thing. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be interesting itself. I mean, the other thing, the other one that I forgot to mention there is when CM Punk turned up in the early days of, of, uh, NXT and teamed up when he was WWE champion teamed up with Seth as NXT champion in a, in a tag team match and it's like can you imagine if 
Seth does go on a Challenger of the Month type locker room leader style universal title reign and turns up in NXT one week to like wrestle Johnny Gargano or something just because um, and the kind of reaction that would get. But um, at the same time, as much as I'm for that, uh, one thing that I do hope begins to fade out now that we're out of WrestleMania and we can get back to some degree of normalcy is that either A, the brand extension is just scrapped, or B, the brand extension is adhered to again. Mm. Because I'm getting so... I mean, this week it was particularly bad with Drew turning up on SmackDown and the bar turning up on Raw. I could kind of understand Kofi turning up on Raw. There's just something about the idea of the WWE champion the night after WrestleMania. You're like, fine. But then it's just... It all got a little out of hand. And this has obviously been happening now for the longest time you had... Becky and Charlotte was never really addressed as to whether they were like raw wrestlers now because in the way that Benoit was in, in 04 when he swapped brands to challenge Triple H, uh, there was never really any, still to this day, we don't really know if, if Ricochet and Black are on one brand or another brand or if they're still NXT guys and just making like guest appearances on the other brands. Um, so Braun was on SmackDown this week, weirdly. So hopefully with the... Um, with this shake-up, they will re-solidify the boundaries a bit. Um, and, well, I'll say a bit, they will just re-solidify the boundaries and we'll get back to brand exclusivity. Otherwise, just scrap the whole thing. I mean, you and I were against this idea from the very beginning. I like to think that our arguments have been repeatedly justified over the years that followed and are done so on a regular basis. But that's a bittersweet thing. Um, so I'd rather them get rid of it altogether. But if they're going to do it, do it. Uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of reports out from Triple H, wasn't there as well? Him saying, you know, oh, it's going to calm down. It's just uh, as we're going into WrestleMania and we'll, we're going to re-solidify it and stuff. Um, so I, I hope I hope that is what what happens. Um, it seems with Becky winning both those belts that it that to me more than even any of the stuff that's happened is the first sign that, it, you know, we're not going to have it for that much longer. Um but I liked the idea that she said, oh, I'm going to pull double duty from now on, which I thought was interesting because it's a bit like I'm going to defend these belts separately, which would indicate more that they are, again, still thinking of it as, you know, as, as two separate brands. So I found that really interesting. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally don't need all I mean, these kind of cross brand angles for a while now. The, the thing that gives that gives me a little hope is that maybe it'll tempt them into doing what we said they should have done from the very beginning with this, which is to have the women's roster particularly work in both brands, even though the brand extension is in place. So you have, you know, exclusive men's singles rosters, but the women's division uh, or or take all the women and put them on one show and all the tag teams and put them on another, but, but to, to unify, if not both brands at least unify the women's division. One thing that I felt that that uh, was a more of a negative take-home from WrestleMania, uh, and I said this on Aftershock, is I imagine WWE believe that they were sh- that it was a real good weekend for them PR-wise when it comes to women's wrestling, and I felt it was very bad because it was never, through the women's tag and through the Battle Royal, it was never more painfully obvious just how, again, it's something we've talked about on the show, just how little development there's been in the divisions outside of Becky, Charlotte, and Ronda for all of, for about six months now. It feels like nobody else 
has has had any kind of character developed, any kind of storyline developed. And I thought that was a really, really sort of starkly obvious uh, over the course of WrestleMania weekend. So hopefully, with Becky holding two belts, maybe they'll, you know, maybe they'll they'll move to some kind of unified women's division, or at the very least, use it as an opportunity to develop more than just two or three characters at a time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think you know we have said that from the beginning. The tag, the tag division and the women's division should be unified, even if you have a brand split. Uh, you can either have one on one show and one on the other, uh, or you could have them on both shows all the time. Because I think you know, again, you look at WrestleMania. You had the revival uh, against Hawkins and Ryder, and then you had uh, the Fatal Four Way on the main card. It's a bit like, you know, imagine if you just did the revival with the Usos to unify the belts instead. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, although, although I, I, I did really like, both, Oh yeah, I, yeah um, I did. I did too. But, but just as a revival rider, I thought both, I mean, the rematch they had on Raw was really good as well. Yeah. Just, I just meant as a wider point, you know, like, yeah, yeah, sure. uh, one of the reasons why you got 15 matches on the cards is because you've got, so you, got that many titles. I saw a picture yeah. earlier on today where there was a picture of every title. You know, and you think about it, you know, NXT UK, you've got three, uh, NXT Classic, you've got four, um, you know, and then the main roster, you've got all of that, like you're every bloody one. thing, you know, plus the cruiserweight title, plus the women's tag titles. Yeah. So it it's pretty mad as things stand. So to do that, yeah, to unify the women's division, to unify the tag division, I think would go a long way. Um because, yes, with the amount of male singles wrestlers they have, I think you can just about justify two world titles. Uh, two mid-card titles, uh, maybe. I mean, I don't really, I've never really cared for the US title, to be honest. Um, yeah, neither have I. Since the day it was, in, was, was incepted in WWE, I've never really been bothered by it. No, it's, it's just one of those things that it kind of stuck because they went with the brand extension. Um, and, and really, when they first unified it again in what like 2013 officially wasn't it um that at that point they should have binned it really but you know i guess that's a, di- a different discussion um so uh right what else have we got on the sort of the uh the talking points post uh post wrestlemania um the women's division of course uh so we just talked about yes it'd be nice to uh nice to unify that but um, it looks like Becky Lynch is going to be in a program with Lacey Evans. Now, obviously, she's done this thing where she just walks about, and then finally she did something, and then people went crazy because they didn't want her to wrestle Becky Lynch. It's like, you've been moaning, she's not been doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on now, you can't have it both ways. Um, but I, I don't know which title, if she's if Becky's going to defend the title, like both titles on the same night, each pay-per-view, then I don't know which title she'd be challenging for, but it does certainly seem like they're setting something up with her. Uh, well, fingers crossed, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, 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 this historically never really turns out well, so I am very trepidatious about it. You know, when someone comes in and immediately goes for a championship, uh, they've been, they've been bitten more times than they've ever succeeded from it. Um, and Lacey Evans, they seem to be very uh, keen on her. She had a very impressive showing. They gave her a very impressive showing in the Rumble. Uh, but it was a very scrappy showing uh, and one that I felt demonstrated she wasn't quite at the level needed to pull that off. So uh, I I wonder whether 
it's a good idea for it to be Becky's first challenger in the sense of the resultant match quality. And we've seen many times in the past that people have a tendency to uh, to to judge the ongoing success of the quote-unquote women's evolution uh, based primarily on match quality. So um, a little a little trepidatious there, but. Like you say, you know, at least now we, we can transition away from uh, she walks out, does nothing, and walks back again. Um, and maybe it's it's the beginning of what I was saying earlier of, of them starting to develop characters outside of Ronda, Becky, and Charlotte. I don't think we saw Charlotte on TV this week, unless I've unless I'm mistaken. No, we didn't. Um, which is. I think I guess I, my only guess would be that they were doing that to give this lazy thing the space because if Charlotte's going out and saying, "Oh, you didn't beat me, you pinned the other one, etc., etc.," then it gets a bit messy all of a sudden, doesn't it? Yeah, it can do. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe Charlotte will have some time off, but it is interesting to think because this is the other thing. Now that both championships are on Becky, it's uh, it it really is do or die time in terms of developing other characters because uh, you know historically they've they've uh, over the last three years or so they've fallen into the habit of if you're not in the championship feud you're not in anything um, and but but both championships are with one performer now so uh, you know yes she might defend both the titles uh, but then you 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 just risk continuing focusing on three women every every month or every few months um so it's interesting to think whether it's just by necessity going to open up like grudge matches on pay-per-view because it's it becomes questionable what you know you can't surely you can't leave charlotte off a pay-per-view such as her star at this point but she's if she's not going to wrestle for a title you know you've got to come up with some kind of story driven angle for her. So that maybe that's, that's an exciting prospect of this is that just as a side effect, it might force that hand a bit into creating some, some, some actual material for the women. No, this is very true. Um, uh, and you know, like in the early days, the brand extension, you did, you did, um, you did see that as one of the, the sort of, um, better things about that early SmackDown run as they, they tried to do some things with, um, Nikki Bella and, I can't remember who it was now. Was it Nikki Bella and Natalia or Nikki Bella and Carmella? It might have, um, it might have been Carmella, I think. Yeah. They, so, like, and they've shown, like, with, well, they kept pulling out of the Bailey and Sasha thing. That was the problem. Like, that was their opportunity. Like, they needed to have that feud because it was a feud that everyone loved in NXT. And if you got it again on the main roster, people would love it again. And they kept pulling back for it. And they kept pulling back from it. It almost seems as if they pitched not to feuds. They could do this stupid tag team thing, which I just, I mean, I cannot get my head around at all. But now that they're not tag champs, surely they've got to have that feud at some point. Like, it's madness not to. Mm. Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I don't know. I can't kind of uh i'm half and half on it because uh it's it's in it's it's that weird situation where you feel like you've seen it so much even though you haven't really seen it at all because like you were saying they've pulled back on it so many times yeah that's the problem isn't it? they've almost done they've almost done too much of the teasing of it now um, it's it's a, it's a wrestling brexit oh god 
What an analogy. <laughs> um, well, hopefully we, we won't see a, a Bailey and Sasha feud that lasts till October the 31st. Um, <laughs> so the, I mean, the, the thing is, again, I, Alexa Bliss is obviously now they've cleared her from her concussions. She wrestled on Raw, had a fairly dominant win over Bailey. So whether Alexa Bliss is going to be the Raw challenger to Becky and then Lacey will be the SmackDown challenger or something like that. Um, I, I don't know, but I am intrigued by this idea of Becky pulling double duty, I have to say. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's going to be interesting to see how long it lasts. Uh, presumably, it will at least last till the next pay-per-view, and it's a good old wait till the next pay-per-view again since they moved the Saudi show back. Uh, we've got until May the 12th, so it's, a, it's another build of more than a month. Um, Which, yeah, traditionally towards, doesn't go too well. <laughs> Wait no, and see, I guess. Towards Money in the Bank. Um, and you got to assume that obviously they're going to have a women's Money in the Bank match there. Uh, indeed. So we're probably we're probably going to get six weeks of qualification matches. But um, I mean, maybe that's where Becky, you know, drops one of the titles is that she defends both, and then someone cashes in on one of them because, of course. If she's holding both championships and they only have one money in the bank holder, that presents a situation that's unprecedented within WWE's fictional history. They can presumably decide which of the two they want, or do they cash in on both, or, you know, what's the gist? Well, the the, the fiction has kind of broken down so much, hasn't it? It's like, because since they went back to a brand extension, they don't have two ladder matches for the men anymore like they did for a time so now it is back to being one ladder match um but then that opens up that whole thing it's like is it like the rumble can you choose your champion or not like it's one of those one of those things they haven't really tested the the limits of the fiction on really so it all ends up being a little bit muddy um but yeah i i i don't know what they're doing money in the bank this early i have to say it feels like a bit of a a bit of a, a month, and, early, month earlier than it used to be. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm not a. Oh, two actually, total line. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, I mean, having I to deal with this many months of somebody running around with a briefcase. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, we've spoken before, haven't we, in the past about how it's a concept that's had its day. Yeah, I mean, I wrote, uh, I wrote a column last year, uh, suggesting that it be scrapped. Much the yeah, sh- the chagrin of my readers. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I'm feeling positive about the product, so I don't want us to get too negative. But it's definitely a um, a concept nowadays that presents more issues than it does solutions. In which case, you kind of go, well, you know, why are you still doing it? Um, I I mean, you know, we're both old school, aren't we? So I'm sure we'd both love a return of uh, King of the Ring instead. Um, I really liked what I'm, I've always said this. I really like what they did in 2002 where, you know, Brock Lesnar won King of the Ring and then got a SummerSlam main event title match in much the same way the winner of the Royal Rumble gets a WrestleMania one. I always thought that was a neat concept, but they only ever did it that one time and then scrapped it. Yeah. The entire pay-per-view they scrapped. Yep. Yeah. It's just, that's an, it's certainly a shame. Um, and then, and then especially like a, to- a single, because tournaments always go down well. They always go down well. Um, and with the amount of talent that they've got on the roster, you could easily get like a, a, a dual-branded 32-man tournament out of, out of the talent that they've got. You know, all of them competing for 
for the, the, the either just the prize of King of the Ring or, or a title shot or some kind of stakes, or not even King of the Ring, just create a new tournament for the summer. Um, you know, you could even make it a network special if you want, well, like they did with the Cruiserweight Classic. But, you know, you, there's so much, this Worlds Collide thing, you could do that. I mean, there's so much... Uh, so, so, so much you could do in place of Money in the Bank. Because uh, the other thing is with Money in the Bank, like there's, they, they've run the gamut now, haven't they? Like how much they've done the WrestleMania cash in, they've done the cash in during a match to make it a different kind of match. They've done the cash in ahead of time. They've done the surprise cash in. They've done the the you know the um, match at, at the end of a match thing several times over. Like, is there really that many new ways you can think to do this? Yeah, no, quite. That is the uh, that is the problem, isn't it? I mean, like, it's like it's not like the Rumble because with the Rumble, like, it, it's got that weight of it's got that weight of history about it, you know. Um, and I still feel like there are new things you could do with it, and Money in the Bank, and it's just sort of not really. So, um, but and as also, you say, and also the Rumble boasts so many winners who went on to great success. Money in the Bank is the complete opposite. Uh, and the other thing is, as well, I guess that, um, you know, when when you kind of look at the product and how it is right now, as you say, like it seems to be heading in a really good direction. You know, it, it there's a lot of positives coming out of WrestleMania, and something like Money in the Bank has a habit when it's done the wrong way mm. of kind of muddying things in a way that it doesn't need to be because they feel the need to do some like surprising things. If you look at some of the recent winners, you know, Baron Corbin, uh, Carmella, like stuff like that, you know, it's just, they just feel the need to, to mess about with it. So hopefully, you know, common sense will prevail and it will be, you know, be somebody that can really benefit from it. Because, you know, even though I think it's tired, if they give it to the right people, and I think it tends to work better on a heel, um, then it can be really, it can still be effective. You know, look at Seth Rollins, for example, as, as exhibit A on that one. Um, well, I, I mean, I said a, a few days ago on social media that to me, it feels like the obvious direction to go in would be to have Drew win it, uh, cash in on Seth at some point, maybe ahead of SummerSlam uh, to win the title, then have the two of them feud at SummerSlam for the title, and then either transition that into a into a more fully fledged McIntyre Reigns feud or continue the Rollins Reigns uh, McIntyre feud uh, and find your way through the, the autumn and winter months back towards Royal Rumble to build towards a Rollins and Reigns main event at, at WrestleMania next year. You know, I think you could, it like you say, it, it's all dependent on putting it on the right guy, but that's just an example of how if you do put it on someone I would consider to be the right guy, you, I mean, much like we've just said coming out of WrestleMania, like you could be set for the, for the entire back end of the wrestling year heading into next year's WrestleMania, but you've got to make the right choice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. And if anything else you want to think about in terms of WrestleMania, I haven't said much about, um, about sort of uh, the undercards really. Um, I mean, I'm guessing that I'm guessing that sort of these, um, like wins on the tag division and stuff like that. Like I can't imagine Hawkins and Ryder like holding those belts long. Well, even if they did, if the match quality can 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 stay at the level it was it was opposite revival, you know, I mean, you'd have to have a lot of faith that it would. But 
um, then I'm not entirely adverse to it. Or alternatively, if the focus remains on telling interesting stories, I'm not adverse to it. Um, Revival feel like they should be the team this entire division is built around, though. Um, And... I mean, I assumed that it was just going to be a replay 2016 that Ryder would drop the title yeah, last night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. Um, they did. It was kind of a pleasant surprise. I do hope they find their way back to, to Revival uh, sooner rather than later, uh, though. It, it is interesting that the tag scene has felt uh, quietly sort of robust over the last few months, though, I feel. like There was that great fo- the triple threat tag at... Uh, at at uh, Fastlane, um, you've obviously just had a, um, a Ricochet and Alistair Black wrestling for the NXT Raw and SmackDown tag titles all in the space of one week. Um, you know, you got Revival doing their thing, the Usos doing their thing. Uh, you know, not keen on the Hardys winning the championships, but that is what it, that is. Rather yeah. than be in the tag team scene than in the main event single scene, so um, you know I shan't complain too loudly. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting how quietly robust it's gotten again. So so hopefully they might have a good a good solid spring. Will the will the tag teams? Yeah, I think that's, they obviously got the talent, haven't they? So then it just becomes about you know are they going to put them in a prominent position on the card? The fact that you know uh, the SmackDown titles made the main card um, it is promising. As as you said, like the Hardys with them, I, I could do without that really. But um, and then as we said earlier on, the mid cards titles you know joe owning one of those and finn owning the other well that's a really good position to be in isn't it oh undoubtedly undoubtedly and the exciting thing is the the talents that could um that could move around and be positioned to face the two of them i mean finn's an interesting one isn't it because on raw with seth as the universal champion finn is the intercontinental champion on paper that's very exciting but it's WWE and you kind of worry, you know, are they going to be basically doing the same thing with both of them for the next few months, which I think wouldn't do either one of them any favor, any massive favors, especially Finn, who with all, you know, all due respect to him, um, doesn't seem to quite be at the same place that Seth is. Um, almost feels a bit like how the Miz always felt to John Cena to me that, uh, you know, Miz always felt like a, a slightly watered down John Cena. And I get that I'm a huge Seth fan, so I might be a minority of one, but Finn always feels like a watered down version of Seth. And I don't think it would do him any favors to give him a, an IC title reign that would infinite instantly draw comparisons to either Seth's last year or his universal title reign. And I don't think it'd do the show any good. Like you want variety. Not every match needs to be, you know, an epic workhorse match. And what we've seen is that when every match is an epic workhorse match, uh, they all start to uh, kind of blur into one another, which is something you've commented on in recent weeks. But this is something, this is the interesting thing about, about Finn at the moment, is that he has been wrestling these short matches against mm. big guys recently. So actually they might continue that. Like, you know, they seem determined to do stuff with Elias all the bloody time. So I wouldn't be surprised if Finn ends up uh, with him at some point or other. Um, so, yeah, they do seem to be trying to distinguish them a little bit. And obviously, then, you've got a money match eventually, if you want it, like IC title v 
universal Ooh. title a kind of you know workers hogan warrior if you want if you want that match a big pay-per-view it's there for you isn't it at SummerSlam, man think of the history there exactly um and also like finn, finn finn versus seth obviously for the first universal championship 2016 finn got injured career never really recovered on the main roster seth uh, regained the intercontinental title after months of chasing it last year at SummerSlam. Yeah, I could, I could, and and of course won the uh, you became U.S. and world champion in SummerSlam in that's 2015. So that's a match I could, uh, I oh, I want that now. Why have you said that, Mav? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think you know, I think it's a, it's an obvious match to to put on at some point or other. It has to be. Um, I you know, I guess the you know, if you're going to do Roman Seth at, at, at WrestleMania next year, then you want something almost as big for the summer sun, don't you? And that, that's the one that, that, that really jumps out at me. I also saw that. My, I... my, my anxiety would be that they, that they, uh, that they can't resist doing Seth v. Roman at SummerSlam, uh, and that WrestleMania then becomes part timer again, because it's never felt this. It's never felt like there's been this strong a chance that next year's WrestleMania will be all contemporary male talent in that, you know, in that headline in slot. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it, well, yeah, we said that this year, didn't we? Um, <laughs> what, exact, well, exactly, exactly. Um, and they find a way to not do it. I mean, what if Daniel Bryan was to cross over to Raw and he was Seth's first challenger? I'd be all in for that. Um, um, plenty of, uh, of dubious behaviour for Bryan to pick on from Seth's past. Um, and Seth is... Well, I don't know if he is actually. I've I've no idea, but um, I'm sure Brian could pick on something to uh, <laughs> to to have a go at him for being fickle, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. coffee. It'd be, it'd be something to do with coffee because he opened a coffee shop in Iowa, didn't he? Uh, and a wrestling school. Maybe Daniel Bryan could go on about the wrestling school. Maybe. Um, who knows? But uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting because obviously, like, it feels like Brian has done everything that he can do on SmackDown, really. So the new environment, I think, might well do him good because, of course, he was general manager of SmackDown, and then he was an actor before on SmackDown. Um, he's been well titled over there. Uh, yeah, it's sort of and and I mean, with with Lesnar gone, the they they're looking for a top. Uh, heel on on Raw, and at the minute, I guess that's Drew, but it's yeah. kind of Drew by default. Yeah, Drew and Lash, Drew and Lashley, it's, isn't it? Yeah, which you know, and Drew's been doing well, but not the most uh, charismatic guy to be the front and center villain of your of your show. I don't feel like he's that kind of a of a performer, whereas Brian has obviously proven precedent as being just that. And SmackDown seems to have other, like you could, you could have Samoa Joe as the primary villain on SmackDown or Randy Orton as the primary villain. You know, they've got other people who could fill that spot. Whereas yeah. Raw feels less that way. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, and I just, I just think it would be really interesting to see Brian on Raw for the first time in yeah. God knows how long. Um, since 2016, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, but was he even? I guess he'll it? have done. He'll have done one or two. Uh, it might have even been his retirement speech in 2016. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But certainly, it's an active performer, not since uh, the night after WrestleMania 31, really. 
um, which is which is pretty crazy. Um, anything else that caught your eye over the weekend? Any any last thoughts? Uh, no, not really. Um, of course, you can check out uh, a, a very detailed match by match breakdown of WrestleMania 35. Um, not only on um, AfterShock, uh, plan the last Plan Mania has now taken place. Um, yeah, and it was and it was uh, it was three hours, and we got cut off. Blog Talk was like, I've had enough of WrestleMania now. Uh, we only start taking lessons from Blog Talk, don't we? Um, <laughs> and then uh, obviously, Plan also did his his um, match by match breakdown uh, in the performance art style on Sports Entertainment is dead. Not, so not not quite match by match. It was uh, sort of more general thoughts, and then the three big uh, title matches as well. Excellent. So yes, more detailed thoughts about the actual. Uh, wrestling there I guess we just wanted to as we're the end of the week show we want more of a kind of an overview more of a a look forwards so I hope you appreciate our efforts you think a little bit different with this episode of the pond rather than just us talk about the matches that you've already heard everybody else talk about this week we thought we'd uh including me twice exactly um Plus, it, plus in column form as well. So yeah. um, it's uh, it's it's been a, a busy week for Plan. Um, all right, so we are going to head off into the sunset for this evening, guys. So before we do that, do re- listen to the rest of LAP Radio shows as we just plugged both of Plan's appearances. Um, but you've also obviously got a Doc coming this Sunday. Um, we've obviously already had this week as well, One Nation Radio, uh, Global Impact, and imp uh who's actually got burn back with him now on the perfect 10 so do check out all of those as well we'll be back next week as always um so until then from the right side of the ponds we'll see you later on bye